Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Venture Property Podcast. My name is Ryan Carruthers, and I'm your host for today. And thank you very much for listening. It means a lot to me that you take time out of your day, whether you're driving to work or in the gym or whatever, to listen to these podcasts. Today, we are sponsored by Land Insight, which is the ultimate tool to find all the deals that, that you need. It's something that I use on an almost daily basis to find land and work through comps and do all of my due diligence. Now, let me take this time to ask you if you are subscribed to the podcast. If you aren't, why not? I mean, all we talk about on this podcast now is deals and investors. So we talk to people who have done deals, why they did them. We get into the nitty gritty and we talk to investors about why they invested in a particular deal and why they invested in that person. So if you are looking to raise money, then you've got loads of examples here. Today, I have one of my favorite property people on the show becoming a really good friend of mine and somebody I go to with pretty much most problems if I have one and I know that they're going to help. And that person is John Corey. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am very well. All the better for hearing your voice. Are you excited? I am. And it's funny, you say you come to me when you have challenges. So I would actually say that you don't tend to have too many challenges. And when you do, we actually have a quite... uh, engaged conversation it's always something interesting thank you that's very kind we do have um yeah we do have some interesting conversations maybe we should record some of them sometimes that'd be even more interesting for the people listening yeah so you have no idea about the questions in which i'm going to ask you do you i don't because i i mean personally i think it's more interesting for the listeners if I'm not pre-briefed and I'm sort of all prepared. I think the tone is going to be more authentic if you just sort of blurt it out and I respond. Fantastic. So today's podcast is going to be on the investing side. So I want to know about a deal that you invested in. I want to know how you found the person and the deal to invest in. So... There's definitely probably people who won't know me very well. So let me fill in some things I can't see in a podcast. Yeah. So I have qualified for my old age discount on the tube here in the underground. I have gray hair and have been around for a little while. So these days I'm taking a sort of more leisurely route and I tend to invest in deals through crowdfunding campaigns. Now that also means I tend to identify opportunities work with the person to put it on a crowdfunding site and then invest in it rather than just look at the crowdfunding site. So I am actually reaching out to investors who have opportunities where they're short of cash. Mm -hmm. And I show how they can raise cash from other investors, following the regulations, keeping it legal and spreading the risk when it comes to the investors being able to invest in more than one deal. So my focus then is, can I see it on a crowdfunding site? even if I'm the guy who has to get it to the crowdfunding site. Interesting. So, you are, so you're going out there and effectively picking up people, investors, developers who are looking, who have a good reputation potentially and are looking to raise more money and do bigger deals. That's how you're finding them, is it? Um, correct. Let me broaden it though. It could be someone who's brand new and they just happen to have a good deal. And if they're open to filling out their team with whoever else they need on their team to make sure the deal is going to probably be successful, then I'm more than happy to work with them and possibly invest in their deal along with the rest of the crowd 
they don't need to have a deep track record. They need to have stuff that stacks up and a reasonable probability of getting the job done. Yeah. And what, so one of the things that I really like about, about you and I have worked with you as well is you are very good at um, pulling, helping people pull together teams so like you say if they are pretty new but they've got a new they've got a really really good deal you are very very good at spotting where their weaknesses weaknesses lie how how have you developed that ability so i have a technology degree and come from silicon valley and a lot of times um, tech companies are looking to the future or you're trying to solve a problem you barely can identify and the team could be rather fluid when it comes to who are the right people to make this happen. So in some sense, I think it's just a side effect of that experience. And a little bit of that is about asking questions, trying to understand what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And in particular, how we're going to test that we're not off track already. So the, the whole the book, The Lean Startup, talks about the minimum viable product, which is really all about test things early that you're not sure are true, uh, or the big assumptions that you really do think are true, but yet there's no real proof. Get a test out there quick. So the same with property people. If you talk to them, it's like, well, what do you think about this deal? And how do you expect to fund it? And what if it rains? Or what if the, you don't get that? And you start probing all the normal sort of risk due diligence type questions and you start to peel back where the gaps are. And then you can pretty much just say to people, well, what are you good at? What do you do for a day job? What have you done in the past? What other projects have you done like this, if any? Okay, if you don't have the skills necessary, where can we find them? Property investing is not a new sport. It isn't like someone just invented the game. There's always someone out there that's already done whatever you're trying to do. So if necessary, let's bring them in. Hmm, I agree with you. And one thing that... I know that you're you're really hot on, um, and you you spotted it in me was the transferable skills. So it's what have you done in a previous career, a previous life, effectively that has now and now you're in property. But what skills can you transfer over? I think that's that's a massive thing that not a lot of people actually think about. You know, property people. Would you agree with that? So I do. One of the things. So I as a bit of giving back or paying it forward, I let people book a 20 minute call. There's no charge, they don't have to buy anything. It's not a big sales pitch. And in particular, I get people who have discovered me through some Google search or something. And they're generally quite new at property investing. And I always say to them, you have to start with where you are. Yeah. You know, in, in the sense of like, if you're gonna go on a journey, well, tell me where you are now, and that'll at least give me one endpoint of the journey. Yeah. And what, you're going to do to go forward probably should leverage what you're already good at. You'll have more confidence about it. You'll have more credibility. Someone called the other day and they have an accounting background. Uh, it works out that they have a business partner who's an architect. I said, well, fundamentally now you tell me you're good with numbers and the other person understands planning, architecture, and that side of in design. So there's probably a strategy that will play to those things. Then they tell me a little bit more and it comes out that they enjoy negotiating and talking to people and sort of the almost what you might call the positive sense of sales activities where going out and talking to people that they enjoy. So if they're going to get joy from doing it, they're, they're probably already good at it or at least develop some competence. We should start there. They mm -hmm. can always learn new things, but let's not 
start from where they're weak. Let's start from where they're strong. Confidence will be higher. You can add in other people to the team to get the job done, having what some people call a power team if necessary to cover the gaps and you can grow from that. Mm. It's it's effectively exactly what I do. I know that um, my strengths are in finding people um, and finding the deals. And then from that, I have an interest in the rest of property, but my skills lie in that element of it. And I will get involved in it, but I've built a a team around me. Yeah, I mean, actually, to, to sort of reverse this a little. So let's talk about you slightly. So you have, through various means, and some of this has to do with your father's business and other things, developed quite good skills at talking to people, being very open and just having a chat. Mm. And that sort of plugs you into what's going on locally, and you have a passion for sticking to your local market. So local intelligence really can be built on. You're very good at just opening up to people and letting them tell you what they're all about. And you also have a good bullshit detector when it comes to if they've been reading too many books or going to too many seminars but don't know what they're doing, you in a polite way will sort of nudge them and say, really? So that allows you then to create the people around you that you need. Mm-hmm. And you're open to saying, okay, I don't know what I don't know. So let me talk to JC or someone else and see what they say to discover my blind, you know, help you discover the blind spots. And I do the reverse with other people. So. Mm, I think it comes down to people, and I always harp on about this, but for me, uh, people are business, and you can have, if you've got the right people around you, you can take your business to wherever you want you want it to be. Um, people and communication, which actually leads me on to my, my hey, next Hang on one second. Ooh. So if you don't have the right people around you, what can you do? You can go and find them. Literally, exactly. just hammer on those doors. There's people in my network now that have taken me years and years and years to have the relationship that I have with them now, and I am ridiculously protective of that. I will not just introduce random people to them. Um, I will only introduce people to them who I think would be of mutual benefit and have the same values. Um, but you, you've literally just got to hammer on that door until they, they will not let you go away because they know you're not going to go away. And you've got, I think you've also got to be so good that they can't ignore you. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are, if you know your area better than anybody else, and that comes from talking to other people and you know your numbers and you know the deal and you know what you're talking about, you are so good that they literally cannot ignore you. Then, Then they will definitely want to work with you and want you around. And then by association, you will get better opportunities. Correct. And that's establishing value. And by the way, you know, to you, to anyone else I speak to, if you actually aren't good at anything, then why should I be talking to you? What's the point? Yeah, exactly. And we're not talking rocket science. I mean, I've been, in effect, I like to say, I've been to the center of the universe. I've seen the future, how it unfolds. Property is not like that. Property is pretty old school in the sense that we've been living in houses and building office buildings for a very long time. So there's almost nothing in the property sector that the person who wants to do the homework couldn't learn. So this is just a matter of doing your homework. Yeah. Gather the data. Gather the data, understand the data, and then make a decision based on that. 
And partly from crowdfunding, you can get started investing for small amounts while you're still learning. So you mm -hmm. can actually use the investment as a learning experience. So now you don't have to wait till you know what you're doing. You can incrementally grow your knowledge and see some details of a deal that you're not even in charge of. Someone else is in charge of. So it's like being a fly in the wall for, for a deal. Mm. And then, so. so talking about deals then like that, what, um, what kind of communication do you like to see from the developer when you have, you have invested in their deal? And I ask this because quite a few of the investors that we've had on and some of the developers talk about communication and how they communicate to their investors or their developers. So it'd be good to, to hear your take on it. I'm going to make a broad sweeping statement like I tend to do. Um, most developers are crap at communicating. And it's not that they're bad people. It's that they've never had to do it. So if you think of the typical developer or the typical property investor, and you're trying to secure funding, so you turn in a bit of paperwork to a mortgage broker who probably fills in a bunch of forms for you, <laughs> they then call you back and tell you that you've got the loan or you don't have the loan. And after a certain point, you'd get to the, the lawyer's office and you signed a bunch of pieces of paper and the money moves from one account to another account to another account and everything's done for you. After that event, other than sending in payments, either monthly payments or the final payment if it's a development where the interest is rolled up, you don't communicate with the people who put up the money. Nope. When we, when we flip it around to working with private investors, and particularly working with private investors where there's more than one, you need to talk to these people. And I don't mean phone calls, okay? That could be a problem. I think it's you need to have set an expectation that once a month, once a week, once a quarter, whatever it is you think is appropriate and they've agreed to, you'll send communication. And the biggest mistake some of these people make is they set an expectation then don't deliver. Hmm. And I call them on it and I say, like, what's going on? You said once a week or you said once a month. They said, oh, but nothing, nothing's really happened. I said, fine. Send me a message saying nothing's happened. See you in a week. See you in a month. Yeah. You know, tell me that nothing's happened rather than leaving me to guess. Hmm. And if you don't know the answer to something, say, I don't know the answer to this. Here's the question I'm working on. I don't know the answer. And I'll come back to you when I do. Yeah. And then That's find okay. somebody. Yeah. Find somebody. Yeah who does know the answer to that and then and then move forward with that. And there is always somebody out there that will know the answer to that question because like you have said, property isn't new and we're not trying to reinvent the wheels. So somebody would have done or been in that situation you are in right now and they will help you. And if they don't, find somebody else and find somebody else and find somebody else that you get on that phone. What's interesting is you have a, another business where – you have been working in a sector that in a sense was created as you were there for the birth yep. and what is best practice and how it works and all the rest of it wasn't well established. And while there are some historical connections to what you do, um, it was fundamentally something new. Property development, property buy and hold, property refurbishment, HMOs, all these other topics, these are not new things. Mm. At the same time, if you tell people, well, first of all, tell people when you're going to communicate, <laughs> then communicate when you say you're going to communicate, and that builds history, track record, trust 
first date, second date, third date, all the rest of it, you know, whatever analogy you want to use for building trust. And the point of all this is you want your investors to want to come back and do another deal. They're going to come back when they feel you're a safe pair of hands. And if you can't even deliver on the promises of when you're going to send an email, they really start to wonder if you can deliver on any other promises. Exactly. If you can't, if, if you can't do that, then why should they give you their money? Especially as you are going to potentially grow and want more money. Why, if, if you've got, and I mean, every amount of money is sacred. If it's somebody else's, you should look after it the exact same way, whether that's a pound or a hundred thousand pound, but to instill confidence in people who are testing you out a hundred pounds or 200 pounds, you really need to really, really serve those people. This, this is like you say, it's a first date. Yes. And first dates always cost more than you get in benefit, so to speak. And that you're bribing the person to show up. I'll buy you a coffee. Would you mind sitting down with me for 20 minutes and having a chat? It's literally a bribe. Yeah. And if the outcome's positive, you probably get a second date. So now you can buy something more expensive or you can go somewhere fancier or whatever. But it's there's a journey here. Now, let me put this in a context. If you're never going to do a deal again, you don't have to communicate. That's fine. Yeah. But I don't think the people that listen to this podcast are the type who are going to do one deal and then move on to something else. Yeah. Not unless that not unless that deal is like the deal of the century and you're going to be able to retire off that deal, which never happens and doesn't fit our mindset anyway because we are deal chasers by our very nature. That's why we love property. Well, true. And by the way, people who think they're going to get rich in one deal aren't the type of listener podcast we can we can eliminate them from the conversation because they're not even listening yeah they're not no definitely not so my next question by the way actually if anyone wants to challenge me on this perfectly fine with it go over to realestateslackers.com and register and we can have a chat ryan Mm -hmm. knows how to make you hook you up if you can't figure it out yep go there fill in your details and uh, you can get direct access to not just John Corey, but also me and a host of other people as well. What sort of things have you seen then, John, in this world that um, surprise you, that people have done that surprise you? Oh, that's a big question. So do you want the big version or the little version? Any- as if you're going to say little, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so maybe people don't know this, but maybe they do. I worked for some famous people. I worked on some projects that changed the universe as we know it. So that was in the tech space. What surprises me in the property space, which is why we're on this, is a lot of investors confuse equity and debt, and they really don't understand equity. And frankly, your ability to grow is limited by your ability to raise equity. And by equity, I'm talking about the cash that isn't lent to you by some lender. And if you can't bring in cash for your deals, then you're going to be stuck based on whatever profit you're generating, and that's it. Yep. And some, some layman will translate this into joint ventures. Fine, if that's the only way you can think of equity, great, but it's not quite what I mean. I, I'm thinking more broadly as in it's the cash in a deal, it's the, cash, it's the value between the value of the property and the debt that's currently on it, it's the 10 people that you know that have cash that might be able to invest in a deal caution there is it that would be a collective investment so be very careful there's regulations 
but you need to be able to learn how to raise equity. And if you don't know how to talk to people about money, and you don't know how to raise equity, you're stuck. Now, I get that some people culturally don't like talking about money. Well, those people can stay poor or you can learn not to be those people. And if you don't know how to do it, partner up with someone that does. Talk to Ryan, talk to myself, talk to someone else. Learn from us and then spread your wings. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And that, that's advice that you gave to me a couple of years ago now. And um, it has made a massive, massive impact uh, in my, I don't really like property journey, but in my sort of property career and my business as well. Now I have the ability to be able to pick up the phone and call a couple of people and raise the money if needed to. Um, and then also have the platform to do that if it becomes a collective investment scheme. Correct. Yes, exactly. And you know the difference and you know what the boundary lines are, you know how to keep it legal, you know how to sort of work with one or many investors. Here's another funny one. So I just had this with someone else. So they are looking to raise money in a crowdfunding campaign. So they've already made that decision. And they wanted to set the share price sort of high. And it was like, well, that's fine if you do. And they're raising a big chunk of money. So there's some logic to it. But it came out, the only reason they wanted to set the share price sort of high is they didn't want to have too many investors because they were worried about how many times they'd have to sign a document. (laughs) It's like, that's driving your economic decision on how you're going to set the share price. How many times one person has to sign a piece of paper? (laughs) And and they said, well, yeah. And I said, you know, we don't want to have to do that too many. I said, well, wait a minute. The person signing is likely to be the accountant or maybe someone else. You're paying them. Just pay them to sign. If it yeah. takes a day to sign, so what? Who cares? Yeah. Nah. And then the other side of it was, oh, we don't want to get into too many negotiations. It's like if you have 200 investors in a crowdfunding site, there's one shareholder agreement, and it's not up for negotiation. Yeah. People can provide feedback. Yeah. So they can provide feedback, but it isn't 200 separate conversations with 200 pairs of lawyers, your lawyer and theirs. This is the beauty of crowdfunding. You don't have to get into all these little conversations about this clause or that section or who's going to do what. Everybody gets the same deal. Everybody knows they're getting the same deal. Everybody gets the same paperwork. Therefore, everybody's comfortable that they know what they're getting into. And if they don't want to be in, they just say, I'm out, and that's it. Yeah, and they agree to this before they put their money in. They see the documents, they see the numbers, and then they go, okay, yeah, then they know their projected returns and all of that, and then there's a cooling off period as well. So Correct. when you have put your money in, there is a cooling off period before the funds get transferred to you as the developer to give people even more time to read over those documents and then check. But during that time as the developer, I don't, I don't have to be worrying about signing lots of documents and all that kind of stuff. It is just a cooling down period that I, that I wait through. And if I've done my job correctly uh, and spoken to those people correctly and told them everything, then there's nothing really to worry about in that period. Yep. In fact, your speaking to them is not speaking, it's broadcasting because you send a message and everybody who's interested receives the same message. So yeah. it isn't like 50 conversations, it's one broadcast and 50 listeners, or it's one broadcast and 2,000 listeners. So it's it's a much more efficient process. Now, I don't fault people for having these concerns. What I fault them for is 
they're taking the model that they would use for a privately funded joint venture with lots of people, which to my mind is illegal anyways, and then they extrapolate that to something they've never done and say, oh, it must be like this. It's like, how do you know? You've never done it. And one of the big things that I've learned from Silicon Valley is be careful about your assumptions because if you're trying to invent the future, it probably doesn't look like the present or the past. If If it did, it wouldn't be the future. Yeah. Smart move. I like that. I like that a lot. Are we having fun? Oh, yes. And I only have <laughs> and I only have one last question for you as well. Cool. So it is. What is the biggest lesson then that you have learned over the last couple of years? So in the wider tech and property and every real estate space, whatever you want to call it, we have what's going on is a convergence. So People have smart devices, they can access information, they can research things online, land registry, land insight, all these other things that allow them to see lots of info before they have to make a decision. And they can do it from the comfort of their home or while they're sitting on a train. You know, it, it's very easy for people to engage and check information. Doesn't mean necessarily that some people do the homework they should do, but they now at least can. And it's not such a burden. We also have the ability to see what others are doing, post things through Facebook or some other group and get other people uh, involved. So you can crowdsource questions, you can ask for help, you can reach out, you can discover who knows what certain topics. So we will only see more of that going forward and we'll also see more fractional ownership so that people can buy small stakes rather than buying the whole thing. They can incrementally test stuff. We might even see some uh, sites come up that allow you to practice where you're you're trading in fictitious shares where you're, okay, I don't have any money, but I want to take a stake in that deal. So I'm going to pretend that I did, and now let's see what happened, similar to some of the online trading platforms. So as we get more and more integration, the investor side gets easier. On the flip side, we're also getting smarter properties where they're going to basically report more and more information about how the property is being run, what materials were used, when they were put in, when they're going to wear out. You might even get certain rooms or certain devices or certain pieces of material chirping to uh, the computer saying, you know, it's been six months since the last time I was polished or I am in a lift. I have a 12-year lifespan when now year 11. Have you put it into your budget that you're going to have to replace me? Um, so I think we're going to get more and more granular information. We might get some AI kicking in that says, well, let me do a quick analysis of all the properties you've just identified and let me weigh up some criteria and tell you where the issues are going to be or what the history is of that property. I've searched back 100 years and I can show you that when the builder built it, they did the following, which is a problem. So I see a convergence is the way to summarize this where we're getting more information. We're also getting smarter tools to process that information, which allows people to make more intelligent decisions and we can break those decisions down into smaller tokens or slices so that people can appropriately engage. Taken one way, generation rent can get on the property ladder without moving out of their rented accommodation. They can put in 50 pounds, 100 pounds, whatever, and they can tell their mom, hey, I'm on the property ladder now, mom, sorted out last month. She yeah. says, wow, when did you move? I didn't move, I didn't move, I'm, but I'm on the ladder. Yeah, yeah, I've invested in this property. Yeah. Now, I mean, for me, this is just 
amazing. This is right up my street. Um, well, the you're going to go through a life event in a few months' time. For those that don't <laughs> know, you're getting married. Um, there are points in time where we choose to change what we're doing based on life events. Mm. And if we could get our housing to sort of adjust to that or our economics of housing, that when someone's young, single, just starting their career, moving around, jobs, things like that, gig economy, whatever, they may not have the ability to qualify for a loan, and they certainly don't want to necessarily be tied to a particular property. But they wouldn't necessarily be bothered if their savings was at least tracking the housing market. So that when they do get to the point where they're going to settle down, they're going to have kids or whatever it is that causes them to want to now buy the house, the family home, well, the savings has been percolating at about the rate of speed that the family homes cost have been going up. So they're they're not falling further behind. They're actually tracking. Mm. And then they're going to be able to move forward and, and purchase that in line with their their life. And what, what one of the things I really like is the the Monzo bank card. So Monzo is a new current account. It's an app and it's really, really taking over. It's becoming a massive, massive bank. One of the things they allow you to do is round up. Really, really simple, just round up. So you can have pots for different things and then you can decide what to do with that directly from your current account. Which is mm-hmm. just a simple thing and using technology in a really simple way for the masses and they're able to now save little bits when they buy their their coffee every day at 260 or round up to three quid put 40p in a savings account for them effectively exactly it's almost like the way we talk about automating the home so that when you wake up the coffee starts the lights come on the the tunes to radio four for the news or whatever it is that you do well the same when you're out buying your things and the odd sort of change that may have ended up in your pocket well when you tap with the card, that odd change now goes into an account and you can see online as that account's going. Yeah, and then can decide what to do with that. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on, John. Um, you have been an absolute delight, as always. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do so? So there's different ways, but certainly go to realestateslackers.com and Ryan knows the URL for that. And you can find me there. You can find me on Facebook. You could find my email address probably. There's a propertyfortress.com website. There's multiple ways. Uh, there's a thing I do which is called Ask John, A-S-K John. Um, I can get the URL for that. But go to Real Estate Slackers, and I'll drop that there. And just let's have a chat. Fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on, John. Thank you.